Hi, friends, and welcome to the Midwest Mompreneurs Podcast. I am your host, Katherine Snellen, and each week I am going to be sitting down to share honest conversations, real resources, and the tips to help you navigate motherhood and building a business at the same time. Let's be honest, it's not an easy journey when you want to do both, but it is possible. Let's get to it. Hi friends, welcome back to another guest interview on the Midwest Mompreneurs. I'm so excited for this week's guest. I sat down to chat with Chef Shanita McAfee Bryant, who I connected with through Pass the Mic KC, which was an initiative to connect black voices and creators with white voices and creators, primarily women. And it was such an honor to have this conversation with Chef Shanita, where we really got to dive into so many different facets of her career and her life as a mother that put herself through culinary school and has this true passion for cooking and at the same time was raising her babies and all of the things that went into her career and how it's evolved her life and her interests today. Chef Shanita is actually really involved in more than just being a cook, even though she has so much experience in working in some of the best um, kitchens in the Kansas City and national market. She's also been a private chef in national markets as well, beyond just Kansas City. But she recently launched an initiative called the Prospect KC, where they offer fresh and free produce boxes in these food deserts, which are typically in parts of the city where there has been redlining due to systematic racism. So I'm really excited to talk about so many different things from her motherhood journey to starting a career as a chef and what that was like as a black woman to how she's helping and creating this nonprofit to serve others in her community and other ways that we can get involved. So let's get this conversation going and I look forward to you guys listening to this one. Hi, Shanita. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so excited to chat with you. Um, we just recently connected with the Past the Mic KC, but I just was so inspired when I got to know you and your story. And I would love if you would share your background as a chef, how you got started, all the things you're doing in Kansas City. Yes. So my name is, you already said Shanita. So I am a chef. I have been cooking professionally in Kansas City, um, gosh, 23 years. Yes, 23 years. I start, 22 years. I started a year after my oldest son was born. So um, I have three, no, four children now. Um, the oldest is 23. The next is 20. The next just turned 18 last week. And then I have a 6.5-year-old. So she's six or seven is but probably more like 25 because her best friend is 20. <laughs> so um, yeah, like I've, I went through the culinary program at Johnson County Community College, uh, have been in the city most of my whole entire life cooking, working around at different places, and now just kind of um, moving into more of a food advocacy nonprofit role, which is, I don't even know, I don't, I never even imagined myself here. So it was the quirks and curves of grief and COVID. And then you 
you find something that you've always been really passionate about, but you can be even more passionate about. Yeah, because you started, so did you start in restaurants? I know you were a private chef for a while. So how did you oh, Yeah, I started in restaurants. So I worked at um, Rock Hill Tennis Club. Um, geez, Dean and DeLuca, Yaya's, the Kansas City Country Club, the Lodge of the Four Seasons, and then the started the private chef thing and then my own versions of magnolias yeah so you've kind of done it all in the community yes i definitely have what like why food what was it that got you how was how did food become your passion was it something you did as a kid was it like how what started that so i am the oldest of four and my parents, my dad had a successful janitorial business, which meant that a lot of his work was late afternoon and into the evenings. There was stuff that happened in the office. But once I got older, and um, fun fact, we lived like out on 151st in Schweitzer. So it was like farmish. So I've had my driver's license since I was 14 and a half because they lived on three acres of land. And at the time, where it was located it was farmland and you could get your license your driving permit earlier so it was my job to like pick my brothers and sisters up from school to then like get them home get dinner and get everything so it was a chore that became something that was passionate and then this is the non like everybody's read that in an article somewhere so this is the behind the scenes the other thing is is that I grew this height in about sixth grade, between fifth grade and sixth grade. So then by the time I got to seventh grade, that's when everybody's wanting to be active and do sports. All of my growth plates were open and both my knees at the same time. So I was getting cortisone shots and I had two knee braces. That is not a recipe for volleyball or basketball or any type of physical activity. So, you know, we lived out in the country. My parents had a satellite dish and it was like, 97 98 when i discovered food network by like browsing the satellite channels and i was like oh my gosh this is so amazing look at these people doing this creative thing because being a sportsy person no that wasn't gonna happen that was not in the cars for me with with braces two knee braces and cortisone shots no you don't want to see me running anywhere And so you just were like watching the TV shows and you started cooking at home when you were a kid and that's how it all began? Yeah. Yep. And so in the summers, I cooked a lot. My mom, um, we had like a deep, deep freezers in the garage and I would like be thawing out everything and cooking. So then she put a lock on it so that I would not cook up all of the groceries (laughs) in the house. So yeah, that's really just how I started. Um, But to get into school, I graduated early from JUCO. I mean, from Blue Valley Northwest, and my mom and dad were like, well, because I didn't realize I was going to graduate early, I didn't officially get my diploma, so I was technically still a high school student. They were like, well, you've got to either get a job or try to enroll in some more classes, but you can't sit around the house from January until May. So I um, found out that JUCO had a culinary program, and because our school had that, I think it was called like college now or something like that where you could be oh do we skip I think it was called college now where you could be in high school but still take junior college classes without having to take like ACT SAT and all that because you're still in high school so mm-hmm. I, that's how I got in I had to interview back back when I went to JUCO in the culinary program you had to interview with um, then Jerry Vincent 
and, you know, basically sell yourself. So like 17, I set up my appointment and I was scared to death and I went in there and I sold myself and he let me in. And that's how you got in. Nowadays, I think people can just enroll, but back then they were like, no, you have to interview. And was it a really small program then? Because I've heard it's an amazing program from what I've heard recently, but how was it? Amazing still then. We were, I had an opportunity when I was there to compete on the culinary team and we were going all across the country um, getting gold medals and beating the CIA and Johnson and Wells and all that. So it's always been a top notch culinary school. I just think that as they've expanded their facility and they've just gotten more visible and the team that I was on, um, I had to leave the team because I had a child and he was not well. And the idea of like leaving the country and traveling all around was starting to become a little cumbersome, but they went on to go ahead and win the junior culinary Olympics. So we've had some, they've had some very good competitive teams there at that school. Wow. That's amazing. And like, what was that like for you? Because you, you said you're in the country and then all of a sudden you're traveling the world. Is this like a young adult? How, like, what did that do? It was fun. It was fun. And I, even though my parents lived out in the country, my dad was always good for a road trip. So Mm -hmm. we've driven anywhere, which another fun fact, I'm not good in the car. Usually they just medicate me with Benadryl because I'm the, I don't know if you're old enough to remember AAA. Oh Yeah. So remember your parents would go to AAA and they yes. get the little app and they highlight the route. Oh, this, that was me. I was like, what mile marker are we on? And they were like, go to bed. Shut up. That's so, so funny. I would just get car sick as a kid. So I That never... was part of it too. So I always had to sit kind of close to the front because mm-hmm. otherwise I'd be like, what's up hurts? <laughs> I want to get out. So, but it was, am- it was fun. It was amazing. And, um, Food-wise, Kansas City was not the food, hadn't really gone through its food renaissance as it has now, where you have some very amazing independent restaurants and chefs were doing all these things. Like back then, you either needed to get in with a hotel mm-hmm. or like I went to a resort or like a country club because that was really the only place that you were going to be able to touch a lot of different food and see a lot of different things. I mean, the apprentices now, like I, every time I go to school to talk to them, I'm like, man, I should re-enroll because this, y'all, y'all got it going on over here. This, I did not have any of this. I'm like, I want to take some classes just so I can get in this kitchen and make stuff. So, yeah. What was kind of like your cuisine or cooking style of choice? Did you like kind of carve out like a specific thing or were you like, I just like it all, I'll do whatever? Well, when you're an apprentice, you have, um, we have a log book. I feel like, oh yeah, here, I have it right here. So you have to, you have all these hours of like certain skills that you have to have. Now, nowadays the log book is on the internet. Mm-hmm. But when I did it, it was this. It was like <laughs> a book and all these pictures and the recipes. So each, each section you have, like I need 320 hours of stewarding, that's dishwashing. You need 480 hours of breakfast cooking. You need um, 960 hours of pantry, 960 hours of pastry. So that's kind of how I, I was like super serious about my logbook. Um, many of very famous chefs in Kansas City have also gone to JUCO and not graduated. We're all in a good group because we did not turn out our logbooks. <laughs> my former brother-in-law, he's in um, Miami. He's like a private chef now. 
but he was with the Senesta and all like in Curacao all over, didn't graduate because he didn't turn in his logbook. I think um, Colby Garrelet's from Rye also did not graduate because he didn't turn in his logbook. So there's a lot of us. Yeah. And it's funny because you go to school to cook, not to be like logging all these different things. Oh, you should have seen us. And this was like, okay, so you have to go back to like the 90s, like pre-smartphone. So we're here with box cameras, girl, trying to take pictures. And then what usually happens is that your camera was in your kit and your kit gets wet or the camera stayed in your car. You go and develop all the pictures and they're trash. And you're just like, look, I... I don't have time to like go back and recreate all that. So forget it. I'm not turning them in. The recipe's in. But now they have it easy. They've got their little smartphone. They snap, snap, snap their pictures and upload it to the internet and they're good to go. No, we did not have that. It's so different with social media, I'm sure, just because like you can take an amazing photo on your phone or like just record the whole process easily versus then. I Yeah. <laughs> At a couple of the jobs, there was usually there's groups of apprentices. So we would make like picture staging areas where we would try to like use the napkins and the tablecloths to like, you know, stage it and get the lighting just right. So we're all we're like, that's the official JUCO apprentice picture spot. <laughs> that's where we take all of our pictures. But you typically by the time you got them to CVS or what was it then, OSCO? Yes. And got it, <laughs> and got it developed. You're like, these are crap. <laughs> I can't use any of these. And you on your recipe, you got graded on picture quality. Oh yes. my gosh, wow. So we were like cutting them out. Yes, it was a whole, it was a hot mess. So that's probably why most of us were like, screw this. I'm not turning in my logbook. Yeah. So then you, so you had your son, right? Is that what you said? Yes, I had my son. Yep, and, my then, and then how did that kind of like change your career path? So he, he was an, um, a not well child, just with a lot of like allergies and respiratory issues. And my parents were super great. They helped out a whole, whole lot. But then there's, there's a part of me that's like, no, this is my responsibility. You know, so there was always time where I had to choose between advancing or doing something else or um, taking care of my son. And so when I was on the culinary team, it became difficult because I took a job at the Lodge of the Four Seasons um, at the Lake of the Ozarks. We practiced on the weekends. So I would have to, um, my dad would drive me to Jeff City on Friday night so I could, or my mom, whoever was not in town, so I could take the train from Jeff City back to um, Kansas City, the Amtrak. And then I'd get here like late at night. Um, Somebody in my family would pick me up take me home. I have to be up at five, get a ride to Juco, go through practice. We have Sunday brunch the next day. So I can't stay the night because I have to be back at work at five o'clock in the morning. Mm. Get back on the train and go all the way back to um, Jeff City, then wait for someone to come pick me up from Jeff City to drive me back to the Lake of the Ozarks. So that just got old. And a couple of times when I had a car, you know, you fall asleep and you get drowsy. So that it was a lot of wear and tear. And I appreciated the opportunity, but then when it came to us, like going to Scotland and doing things like that, I'm like, I just don't know if this is the move for me. That's like a lot. Mm -hmm. So I ultimately had to make the best decision and I don't regret it. I don't. It's yeah. Well, and then later in life, you've been able to, to be a chef in bigger markets. Like you've done work in LA and Chicago. Like how, like, how did you go from trying to balance it all as a mom and starting your career 
and then to where you got? So the first, the older kid's dad is a chef too. We met in culinary school. So there was a time where we were both cooking and then, you know, it was like, okay, this is not working. At the end of the year, you get your tax statement and well, you get your daycare statement and then you look at your W-2 and you're like, mm-hmm. well, shoot, that my entire check is childcare. So really we're not benefiting us by me working in the food business. So ultimately I took a few years where I just was not cooking professionally. I did things like friends would be like, hey, can you make this for me? Can you come over and have a party? Can you do like stuff like that? But I wasn't cooking. So then once we got a divorce, then it became me and the three older kids became a team. And it was like, all right. So whatever I did, I involved them in the team part of it. So if we were going to, if I was doing a catering job, they were doing a catering job. Mm -hmm. They were rolling silverware. They were, you know, making vegetable trays. They were, I taught them how to do dumplings or make cupcakes or whatever it was that we needed to do so that we could, and ultimately, all throughout my career, if from the people who followed me from the beginning till now, they know my kids because they're always, my kids and my dad are always there. So they're like, oh, where's, it's like, they're like a part of the family because they feel like they know them because they've been on this journey with me the whole entire time. So that's why I tell people there's no such thing as balance. Like all yeah. the mo- moms are like, oh, I want work-life balance. I was like, that's BS. And because there's a lot of times, if I'm if I'm killing it in the mom game, then I'm not doing a good job at work. If I'm killing it at work, I am not doing a good job. Yeah, I believe that. There was never a time where it was equal, like never, never. So, and that's so, and I don't even strive for that. And I think that because I um, came up with the team approach, they understood that this was for the greater good. You know, like it, we're all we got. And I'm not going to, I may not be able to stay for your whole cello concert today, or I might have to miss it because I have a catering job, but they understand that this catering job is what's paying these bills. And this is how I'm getting the cello. So it all, you know, and I, you know, some people don't do it that way. Some single moms, they make themselves struggle and they, they angst on it. But I felt like by bringing them in, there was a lot more buy-in with the process and they felt the, you know, they felt like they were reaping a reward too when things were successful. Yeah. I love that. And I love that, you know, it's hard running a business or having a demanding career like that. And hopefully by involving the kids that they appreciate the hard work and the hustle and everything that you've done, but then they also get to learn the trade. Oh yeah. They're and they're amazing, um, workers. Like my son, um, during a time period when I wasn't cooking, I worked at Nordstrom's so then he, the oldest, he really was into fashion. I, he went on to go to Nordstrom's to work and I hooked him up with my mentor that was at Nordstrom's Ted. And then within a, um, you know, a month or two, he's top seller in his department, I, you know, cause he's got my same, like they've got that drive and that work ethic. So they were, of course, they were going to hire him. So like, oh, his mom was top seller. He'll be fine. And then my daughter, she, you know, through this whole, the 20 year old, through this whole COVID She's been an essential worker of all places in Lawrence at Home Depot. And they're like trying to make her the lawn and garden assistant manager at 20. I was like, no, you're pre-med. <laughs> you need to focus on school. That's really great. But they just have that work ethic. The 18-year-old, he um, now his dad is the executive chef at Leewood Country Club. So he works at Leewood Country Club and at Dick's. 
but his dad knows that because he's worked with me for so long, he doesn't have to tell him anything. He can leave and he can run and manage that kitchen all by himself because he was catering with me. He, him and my dad used to food out by themselves and he would be taking orders and paint, putting together boxes and taking people's money and making sure, you know, the two of them got things together. So I feel like I put them in a good place. They know the value of hard work. And like as a as an employer, I wanted to put like good employee seeds out in the world, right? And hope that those good employees will come back to me somewhere else. So I want to make sure that, you know, if someone's hiring my kids, they don't have to worry about them at all. They're going to do their job above and beyond. Yeah, I almost think like, understanding hard work and like how to be professional and all of that is a better life skill than sometimes what you learn in school. It is because I've, um, especially now, it's hard when I meet younger chefs. They're this, they're, I call them the food network generation, right? They think that, you know, they look at us and they're like, oh, they have tattoos and they wear skinny jeans and they're, you know, on TV. That's so great. And I'm like, no, you guys are seeing like the end result of 20 years of hard work, washing dishes, peeling carrots, being in kitchens where they only want me to make um, salad dressing and soup. My salad dressing and soup game is on lock because there was a whole year. Well, that's all I got to make. And you doggone right. I'm going to make the best doggone soup because if that's all y'all going to give me, well, okay. And that's, how you, and that's how you would excel pre-social media and YouTube and all that. It's like you would do great work and you would be consistent and then you would, you would grow, right? right? Right. And they think that they want to, they're like, oh, you know, and it's like, no, put your dang on camera down and be here in this moment. And I hate the fact that, um, as you can see, I still read a lot. Those are all cookbooks from the top of the bookshelf all the way down to the floor. And there's some stacked up on the floor over here and some stacked up underneath my desk. I still read a lot of cookbooks. And I feel like now everybody just wants to Google, how do you make this? And there's I don't know. There's just, there's no shortcuts in this mm. and you can try to shortcut yourself, but you're in the end, you're only hurting yourself. And that, that brings me to like, um, cutthroat kitchen. People are like, how did you do that? Weren't you nervous? Yes. I literally had a breakdown before they picked me up in from the hotel. I was like bawling and shaking. And I called my two mentors and the one is our praying chef she prayed and then my closest mentor she like cursed me out I was like get your together you know what you're doing I don't know why you're in this hotel crying do not get on this tv and embarrass me and I was like okay all right bye she was like get it together I was like all right bye and then I got myself together but in those moments of stress it's memory when when you're in, it's like your mind, your body, your hands, they just know what to do. And then you know how to just work yourself down. So that's why we're all, chefs are all weird people. We thrive in that intense um, environment. Like under pressure is where we're like the cream, we just rise to the top. Where everybody else is like falling apart. Um, we're like, yeah, this is no big deal. Even, and that even shows up like with the kids volunteering like at, in PTA or like cheering the carnival, all the other moms are like spazzing. And I'm like, y'all, <laughs> <laughs> chill. <laughs> this is not rocket science here. We are setting up uh, a cakewalk. I don't even know why y'all are freaking out like that. They're like, why are you so calm? I'm just so nervous. I was like, because it's not curing cancer. 
We're literally just setting up bottle sauce. I don't know why y'all are so worked up over this. So how did, how did your experience on the cutthroat kitchen, how did that, did it change your career? Did it change anything for you? You know what? So I've never spoken like frankly about it, but at this, I'm at, I don't know. I, I just turned 40 a couple weeks ago. I feel myself being like, I don't know. I'm just way more frank than I used to be. So when I won um, Cutthroat Kitchen, the executive chef at Blue Cross and Blue Shield competed on Beat Bobby Flay. And because of the times that we were in, um, nobody really cared about a black female chef. So here, no one gave a rat's behind. You know, they wanted to talk about chef, whoever his name is, who appeared on Beat Bobby Flay. Did he beat Bobby Flay? Absolutely, he did not. But that's what they wanted to talk about. So it wasn't one of those things where locally, it didn't do anything for me. Now, in my network of chef friends, it definitely helped. And that's how you get the opportunity to have what I call workcations, where they invite you to their restaurant, their space, their whatever, and you cook there for them. And so that's more where it was. And so once I realized that that's kind of how things were going to be here, I really kind of focused on developing my network of people out of town. And, um, you know, some, you know, Kansas City's just behind. Mm. They, they discover things after the whole world has already discovered them. So coming in on that end of it. But yeah, I don't, I don't and I don't regret it or feel bad about it. It's just another one of those things that make you, reinvent yourself and think about your path and um be creative with mm -hmm. the way that you market and um reinvent yourself and i've done that a lot and a lot of that is because of lifestyle you you know i've always been trying to find that balance between this are my kids and this is important but this is my career and I'm passionate about this because I did stop cooking for that period of time and I was miserable and I was not a very nice person to be around because I just wasn't, I was like, I'm not living in my passion and you know, life sucks. So I never, I don't think I'll ever get to a space where I will let something stop me from cooking. But as I'm getting older, this business is a beast and it will chew your whole entire life up and spit it out two or three times over if you allow it. So, you know, my body doesn't function at work like it used to with being on your feet for 17 hours. And people are like, there's no way you're on your feet for 17 hours a day. I like to be the first person in, but I may not be the last person out. You know, I might not stay for them to clean up, but I stayed until the last ticket went. So if I'm the first person in, I like to get there between 5.30 and 6. I like that time before everybody comes in between 7.30 and 8 by myself to clear my head and think about the day and get the plan together so yeah it could easily be a 17 hour day and then the hard part about magnolias is that all of the other work that i was doing outside was creating a little bit of a personality so then people feel like you need to be there and then you feel guilty because so-and-so drove up from Warrensburg you don't even know who so-and-so is but they go leave a Yelp review because they're upset that they drove all the way over there and you had the audacity to go to your kids school concert and not be in the restaurant yeah so do you feel like a lot, a lot. 
do you feel like, because I feel like the industry is male dominated and I'm sure it's white male dominated as well. Yeah. So do you feel like that was part of it? Just like yeah. always having to prove that you're committed and being a mom. And We have to be as well as black chefs and then as female chefs, you have to be 10 times better, work 10 times harder to be, and they, they can be mediocre and barely do anything. I mean, I've worked for an executive chef that literally, girl, I never saw him cook anything ever. That's a lie. One time he made some jambalaya and made a colossal mess. It was horrible. And I was like, and then he basically, it was at a country club. So he sat in his office and sipped bourbon all day long. Now, had I tried some stuff like that, you know, that would not have flown by. Even as just a woman, take being a black woman chef. There's no way you could sit at your job as a woman and never cook anything and sit in your office and sip bourbon all day. That's not going, that's not going down. <laughs> this is not yeah. happening. I know. I've heard, I have a few friends that own businesses here and it's, I've heard horror stories, horror stories where these chefs think that they're like kings of the, of the restaurant, you know? So I right. can't, I can't like, even you put any salt in that, bro? <laughs> taste it. This is not it. But then if I say something like, oh, she's just being a hater. No, I actually tasted it and it doesn't taste seasoned. It doesn't taste developed. It tastes like you just threw some stuff together and was like, oh, I did it. It's like, no, you did nothing. So, so was, was that part of your motivation to kind of like create your own brand and do your own work where you can kind of like be your own entity and find the people that want you versus, yeah. yeah. Yep. And two, I had um, the opportunity and I say the privilege, may he rest in peace to work with John Joyce at JUCO. And John was on, was about flavor development and the layering of flavor and you know, full, round, balanced dishes. And sometimes I think that places and people forsake that development. And so then it was like, well, I, I know how I wanna cook it. So in order for me to be able to do my thing the way I wanted to do my thing, then I just have to create my own lane. Yeah. So, and how did you kind of, how did you get started on building your own brand, your own business? Like what were some of those steps that you took? So I started out, um, my kids and I were in a mom and kid organization called Jack and Jill of America. Um, and they have chapters all over the country. And so it actually started that one of our moms got breast cancer and she was like a big wig at IBM. And so she had a um, we did the race for the cure. So she had like a little gathering at her house for all of the, everybody who competed on her team to come and get their t-shirts and their outfits and just, you know, support and congratulate her. So I catered that for her. And then somebody from there was like, oh, wow, this is, this is great. Do you have a card? And then so on and so on and so on and so on. And then that transferred into then people are like, hey, these, cause a lot of these moms in the, that group were executives all over town. You have the Federal Reserve Bank executive and doctors at hospitals. And they're like, look, we love good cooking, good meals, but we don't have time to cook. So a lot, it was like, all right, fine. Now I'll just cook for you guys weekly. This is what I'm making this week. You can order it. And so it started that way. Then that just got to be a lot. So my dad found a little spot on 29th and Cherry. And he was like, you know, you could turn this into like a little cafe. And so him and I worked together to 
you know, we, he did a lot of the work, I had friends come and help me paint the walls and that. And then we just got on Facebook and we're like, we're open. That's it. And just haven't looked back since. What Not is it like? All. What's it like having your own cafe restaurant? It was so stressful. And if anybody ever came to that little Magnolia's, I was doing way too much for that little bitty kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and the health department was like, that's eventually why we closed. They're like, look, okay, this wasn't even supposed to be a restaurant. We let it be a restaurant because it was already a restaurant before, but you're doing too much and you need to, no, you can't do this anymore. So, but it was nice. It was fun. It was fun and it was small. And, you know, like the kids were there, they waited tables, mm. they were the bus people, you know, they helped in the kitchen if they had to. When the little one was born, the they in the office her sister was in the office with her baby sitting so we were all there together and it was a good time I love that I love the family business part of it too like how you showed the kids yeah what it takes because it's not easy it's not easy to open a restaurant and I always used to say you guys are lucky your family business is um cooking my dad's family business was janitorial so you could go clean poop out of urinals like I did growing up. <laughs> or, I mean, my dad used to have the contract for the Kansas City, Missouri libraries before they had security and they were all fancy and the homeless people used to do some strange things in those libraries. So I'm like, you guys have it easy. Trust me, you do not want to be going to work with your parents like I had to. I love it. That's so funny. So what's next for you? Like, what is kind of like, what is your focus now? How are you? I mean... So what are you doing? Um, 2018, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And so I really just kind of, I was already resetting before COVID happened. And so I really kind of took a year, did some consulting and helped out at some other restaurants in town and just kind of figured out what my next, next move was going to be. In the, in the mix of developing my network, I came across a good friend in Seattle. And so they have a concept there and it's basically a social enterprise. So it's a culinary training program and then um, a, a restaurant. And so we're really working on the, developing that here. It's called The Prospect. Um, on Fridays, we're at the Urban League giving out produce boxes to the community. It's one of those things where you just pull up, pop your trunk or unlock your door. We load your box in and you go on about your business. But, um, and then I'm in the James Beard um, chef policy boot camp. So I've really been kind of tailoring my message around food advocacy because I think that COVID kind of showed that hunger is an issue. And, um, and quite frankly, some of our lawmakers treat it like it's a privilege and it's not like people, you shouldn't have to be a child or an elderly person you know, and I say that's jokingly, but seriously, like that, why are elderly people buying cat food? Because they're making tough decisions in the grocery store because, because not enough assistance is being provided for them and they don't have anywhere to go. Why are kids having behavior problems in school or attendance issues? Because they're worried about where they're going to, what they're going to eat mm -hmm. or they haven't had enough to eat, you know? So I don't think that that's right. And I really want to get I think that as we move into this, you know, the previous administration made a lot of strides in that area, but all that died by executive order. And it, and that was kind of like the most like heart-wrenching thing. Cause like, you don't even, you're not even reading these things that you're canceling, you know, before COVID in Missouri, 
think they said one in five children were hungry. Now it's one in three or four. I have four kids. So putting that in a framework is like, okay, dang, that means one of my children would not be eating or, would, or have anxiety about eating or be stressed about where their next meal was coming from. That makes it like super real for me. And I, I don't think that here enough people are holding our city officials and our elected officials accountable. And I don't even think that we can hold them accountable because I don't even know that they know that it's like, I think they know that it's an issue from the standpoint of homelessness, but I don't think that they understand that the, the, the impact that it has on children and their education and their everyday life. And that's important. Yes, it's so important. And um, when the schools closed, especially so many kids are getting their main meals at school. And I know for a while, Kansas City schools were providing meal pickup, but you still would have to go to a location to pick it up, which is, again, a barrier to even get food. So right. how, were, how did you even get involved in this? Like, how are you making it? So I got involved because a good another chef friend of mine started working at Liberty Fruit Company, and she knew about what we were doing with the prospect. And then Canby Markets took over that, took over the contract. So she hooked me up with Canby and then we, we've just been working together and the, what the work that they do is amazing. Putting the fruits and vegetable stands in, you know, and they, I forget what they call them. They don't like to call them food deserts. And the rationale is because a desert happens nat uh, naturally. What's going on in these communities is not a natural accident. It's like an intentional situation. And we talked about this on our my podcast last week with another guy from New York. Our food policy is from the 1940s. That's like the last time as a as a country we've sat down and looked at our nutrition guidelines and you know the way that we look at how people are eating the 40s. This is 2020. <laughs> like Come on. So that's how I got hooked up with them because that we have the same goals and alignment is that we want to get fresh fruits and vegetables in places where there's no fresh fruits and vegetables. And that's, that's kind of ridiculous. Like if you live in the third and the fifth district, there might be two, maybe three grocery stores, two or three. That's, it's a big area for two stores. So if you ride the bus and we have, you have kids, right? So now you got to, take two or three exchanges to get to the store shop you got the, the I, I feel like every time I go to the store the plastic bags are thinner so now you got all these thin bags plus your kids and you got to do two or three more buses rain snow sleet or shine to get back home why would you go why do people they're like man we'll just walk up to the corner store and get the Vienna sausages and the, the canned cheese and some Ritz crackers and the couple noodles and all that because it's closer yeah so, Wow. And do you, like, how are you, how are you bringing awareness to this? Are you, like, we have been, we've been starting a lot of, like, social media, so people can go onto our website and make donations and, like, support our initiatives. We have three that are, that we're going to work on in co during COVID times, you know, that we had to pivot because a lot of what we were going to do was going to be more in person, but um, the USDA box program is going to be ending well, it's it's going to continue on nationally, but we will not be participating because they're going to add canned meat and processed cheese. And I don't, I, I felt like it was a great program with just the 25 pounds of fresh fruits and vegetables. We, we're in an area of town where people do not need the sodium, 
-hmm. the preservatives and the additives in canned meat. And they, Lord knows, no one needs canned processed cheese and dairy that creates mucus and inflammation. We're fighting a, a virus. You don't need to be creating mucus and inflammation in your body. So, um, but we would like to partner with like some other organizations where we can get our, like my friend of mom, my group of mom friends to sponsor families and help us buy groceries for people. And then we kind of recreate that meal kit ourselves and start de delivering them because people, you know, as this time goes on, people's unemployment has run out. Mm -hmm. There's no, you know, people are getting ready to come up against the first of the month where their unemployment has dropped significantly. Um, now the bills are, they had just, I mean, a lot of people had just kind of, kind of gotten caught up. And now it's like, shoot, we're back to square one in a matter of a couple of weeks. I was just kind of getting, treading water a little bit. That's why I hate the narrative of people saying, oh, everyone's out here getting rich on unemployment. The $600 a week is $15 an hour for 40 hours. If you feel like people are getting rich off of that, there's something wrong with the way that we're paying employees. No one should feel like get $15 an hour is extravagant. <laughs> like it's Especially not. when you're feeding multiple kids or there's multiple right. family members, you know. I think in Kansas City, someone told me that a family of three gets $195 a month in SNAP benefits. Like what are you, who are you feeding for $195 a month? I know. I mean, that could be one week for some people. Right. And then people are like, well, I see people selling their SNAP benefits. I was like, do you know what they buy with it when they sell it? Diapers, wipes, toilet paper, paper towels, Clorox bleach, laundry soap, all of the things that you cannot buy with are, are we're, we're women, maxi pads, tampons. Who, who's giving those away? Not many people. No, no, not in Kansas City. I know Happy Bottoms is a great organization that's doing a yeah, ton of free. Yeah, they're going to actually start, we're trying to link up so that they can start coming to our Friday distribution and um, giving out diapers because they, they, they're having the same problem is that it, it's too hard for people to get to them. Mm -hmm. They're having to move to like a direct distribution model where you're more in the area where it's only a couple of miles or people can get a ride with someone instead of having like, like I said, you got to get on a bus, you got to get off the bus, you got to get on another bus. It'd take a whole day just to go get two packs of diapers. Yeah. It really puts it into perspective too for people that can easily get into a car, can easily go to a healthy grocery store and get right. everything they need. So what do you say? Why don't they Uber? I was like, are you serious right now? Expensive. <laughs> they're trying, they're going to the grocery store to use their food. Do you want them to Uber? That's food. Need that money to supplement the meals. So I don't know. I'm like, you're not thinking this through. So if someone's listening to this and wants to donate support, what are some of the easiest ways that they can help out? We have, so we, if you go to our website, you can send an email to be on the volunteer list and you can also just make a donation and it's www.theprospectkc.org. So you can go on there and you can donate there or you can, um, um, send an email if there's something that you have like people like with the diapers or if someone wants to donate I don't know just send us an email and we we make an effort to get it out because we support elderly people as well so we have a group of drivers with our distribution that comes and picks up boxes 
and takes them to our elderly communities. Yeah, this is such a critical time as we get ready to go into the fall as the weather starts to change. Mm -hmm. As you know, like you said, unemployment running out, there's so many factors that are going into this. So I think it's really important that we think about that. It's a nervous time for a lot of people. And that's why I've like online, I've really stayed out of the um, take send your kids to school conversation. Cause I feel like, you know, people in the suburbs or more affluent areas, we should not be having conversations about the, the woes of sending our kids to fully funded schools Having having the choice is a privilege. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and there's some people that, you know, like at Literary CKC, they were telling me that one of the moms, her kids did their virtual learning on her cell phone. Mm. Not everyone has that. Yeah. Yeah. So nobody's, you know, they're not like, you know, oh, my kids are using up all the bandwidth on their iPads. Okay. Well, there's other kids in the city using cell phones to try to get their virtual learning in. So I think that we all kind of have to like, yeah i know be a little more careful about how we're you know framing this up because it's not the same for everybody else there's a lot of inequity that goes into this whole situation so how are you balancing all of this kind of like where where are you at with the catering and how do you how do you fit it all in so catering wise just because of i have my six-year-old here still in the house with me i have not been doing a lot of um i haven't been doing any outside cooking just because I just feel like the you know with being around a six-year-old you just have to be very careful and that's Mm -hmm. just my own personal preference I know some people feel like it's okay I I don't I don't even can't fathom the risk it just doesn't make sense for me but I've been doing a lot her and I do a lot of online cooking together so you can watch us on Facebook or like YouTube and we cook a lot together And then I'm working on developing with her. We're going to try it out for her birthday in a couple of weeks. Uh, Like uh, my doll and me like decorating kits. So I'm doing, we're going to do like little cake with all of the things. And then you can get it, you can order it. No, so stuff like that, that people can get mailed to them and ordered. And so, yeah, we're doing a lot of virtual things. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time. If you could just give one more shout out to your social media, where we can follow you. um, So you guys can follow me on Instagram at Chef Shanita, um, same as Facebook at Chef Shanita. Then my website is my name. So it's Bryant. McAfee is spelled like the antivirus software. <laughs> and no, we're not related, <laughs> .com. And then the prospect is www.theprospectkc.org. And it's the same on Facebook and um, Instagram. Thank you so much for your time and sharing all this knowledge. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Midwest Mompreneurs. I'm your host, Katherine Snellen, and I appreciate you so much. Let's keep the conversation going on social media. You can follow me on Instagram at the Catherine Elise.